0: Welcome to the 22nd episode of On the Grid, a podcast dedicated to the Valley of the Sun. It's a place where you can come to meet the creatives and newsmakers taking the city to the next level, a place where you can learn what's really happening in Phoenix. My name is Philip Haldeman, and I'll be your host. Welcome to our third and final installment of our DACA immigration series. So we are recording these words four days before the March 5th deadline that Donald Trump set essentially to end the DACA program. But the Supreme Court recently refused to rule on a DACA-related case that might have upheld the president's deadline, but essentially it negated the deadline. So we're kind of back to where we were um, in the beginning. But that doesn't mean that DACA recipients are any less in limbo. So today we have Phoenix immigration lawyer Juliana Manzanara on the show, and she's going to give us some insight on what the law says about DACA recipients under today's circumstances and what the future may hold for immigration under the Trump administration juliana thanks for being on the show thank you i uh, definitely want to talk about all the daca related stuff but um let's get to know you where did you come from what state were you born in
1: well i was born in california okay grew up in um southwestern new mexico and in phoenix so okay. guess from southwest
0: at what age did you come to arizona
1: uh 11
0: okay yeah. so you've seen the immigration landscape here right. most of your life Tell me a a little bit about maybe your parents or or why you might have ended up as an immigration lawyer.
1: I mean, I I can't deny that that's part of my history. Both my parents are Mexican immigrants came here and, um, you know, I guess the cliche of make the American dream, right? But Mm -hmm. but it is a dream and it can become a reality for people, which is what happened for my parents.
0: Cool. I think you t- you told me earlier that you weren't initially going into uh in- into law. So what was kind of your first thing, and then and why did you get into law after that?
1: Yeah, no, I never wanted to go to law school. I was a political science major. That was like, no, I'm not going to go the traditional route. Um, I wanted to be in the Peace Corps. I wanted to really? do that. Yeah, yeah. And then my junior year of college, I'm like, I can join the Peace Corps, go get my master's in something, or I can go to law school and learn a skill i guess per se and have these skills that can translate over to anything and that was it and then i walked into the kaplan office and was like i'm ready
0: (laughs) so uh you actually just um kind of officially became a lawyer in the last year or so right right okay And, and your first year of like being an immigration lawyer what what's what were some of the cases that you've been looking at and that sort of thing
1: um, so right now I do a lot of deportation defense. So that includes asylums, um, what's called cancellation of removal for somebody that's been in the country for more than 10 years and, and just trying to get people out of detention once they get detained by ICE.
0: Have any of those kind of been DACA-related or were any of those DACA recipients?
1: Mm -hmm. I did have one case um, that a DACA recipient was detained in Florence. Um, We did a bond hearing and then he was able to get out on a $5,000 bond.
0: So he was still officially a a recipient, like his his hadn't uh, um, expired or anything like that, right? It it
1: hadn't expired, which was a little odd to us because usually, once somebody gets detained by ICE, that is a DACA recipient, and they get what's known as a notice to appear. That's usually revoking your your DACA. Um, So in this case, he hadn't gotten that letter. So as far as we know, he still had a valid work permit.
0: And kind of new to immigration law, so but like, but I'm curious. Like, are you seeing an increase as? Uh, in the last year or so, like, what's your kind of frame of reference on that, or do you have one?
1: I don't know that I necessarily have one. I know that in terms of an increase of getting information, there definitely has been because I know the consults that come into the office are, "Hey, I'm a DACA recipient. It's going to expire. What do I do?"
0: That's that's fairly common. Yes. Okay. I've had a lot of people tell me that it's really hard to become an American citizen. What are some of the, the some of the things that's blocking people from that?
1: Well, you have to qualify. Okay. It's not necessarily that somebody can wake up one day and be like, I'm ready to become a citizen. There are things that that you have to qualify for, and a lot of the times – they just don't. They come into my office and they're like, "This is my situation," and I run through my checklist of things that, you know, could get them there. And there's there's something standing in the way.
0: What might be an example of, of that like a qual that you would need to, to be qualified?
1: Well, having multiple entries and exits can disqualify you from the, from becoming, um, because now if you have more than one, I can't do what's called a waiver to waive your ten year bar or your five year bar, whatever it is. Okay. Have. So criminal record is always a big Obviously, one. Obviously, yeah, um, yeah. But also, however, if you came into the country with a visa or not, that's going to depend on whether your children can can put a petition in for you, which which I think is most of the misinformation that comes into my office. My child's 21. They can petition me. I'm oh. like, wait a minute. Let's take a step back and let's run through this because you might not qualify.
0: And so Donald Trump made, th- made this... Uh... March 5th deadline, explain people, explain to people what that is.
1: So initially it was if you expired before March 5th and you had your work permit for DACA, you can submit your renewal by October. I think it was the end of October. I don't remember the exact date.
0: This last one or? Yes, this last one. Right.
1: So, but that was it. You had to expire in between those, I think it was six months, October to March, those six months. And your expiration date on your work permit had to say that. If not, they weren't going to take. They weren't
0: gonna renew. Okay, it's not like it was an automatic like like deportation or anything like that. But the fear is out there. I'm sure. Yes. Right. Okay. So this deadline is coming up. Like, what I haven't read a whole lot on the news about anything that like it seems like they were talking about it last week a lot or a week or two ago maybe, and then, boom! Like, like I really it just kind of I haven't heard anything about it. So have you heard anything?
1: Not since the district judge in New York um okay. issued their preliminary injunction, it's been kind of silent, which I think is not necessarily the right thing to do at this point. Now is the time to keep the momentum going
0: right, because there is a movement out there that mm-hmm. has kind of been they've been mobilizing and uh, free re, like over the last year or so, and it's gotten pretty heated at some at points in time. Do you see that movement continuing, or do you think it's cooled off a bit?
1: I think it's continuing um, within certain communities, within, you know, with here in Phoenix and other big cities, um, definitely. I think that we need to figure out some sort of strategy or plan to make that to Washington so it's more uh, cohesive.
0: I mean, this deadline has been talked about for so long. uh, March 5th rolls around. Do you think it'll just be another day, or do you think something, there'll be protests, or, I mean...
1: I think... I don't know that it'll be a protest, but I think that'll be some sort of demonstration.
0: Okay. As Do you see even, even any new policy being made in the next week or so? No. Right. Unfortunately. Okay. Right, right.
1: And that's just kind of the unfortunate situation of things. Just in the immigration world in general, everything is always uncertain.
0: Uh, even more so since uh, Trump has uh, become president?
1: Yes. Um, especially since we're seeing a lot of, you know, roadblocks, me as a practitioner anyways, I've been seeing a lot of roadblocks when I go into court as to now I can't really work with the prosecutor because they're under strict mandate to oppose everything.
0: Is that like a law firm per law firm type thing or?
1: No, I was sitting in court one day where another attorney from a different firm made this motion to the judge. Um, he asked for the government's opinion and she just stood up and was like, I oppose under this administration. And the judge was like, do you have anything else you want to say? She's like, that's all I can say. I oppose under this administration.
0: Do you think that's an ideological thing per lawyer or?
1: I don't know. Um, part of me doesn't want to believe that. But I think that.
0: Because the- as a lawyer, you're supposed to take on a client you're supposed to stand right. by your client, basically. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. I don't think so. I think it's just... I guess let me go back. Half of immigration law is administrative. So okay. when the White House says you have to oppose everything, well, then now they have to oppose gotcha. everything. Gotcha, okay.
0: So let's, re, let's reframe that um, or just kind of restate that. Mm-hmm. Um, immigration law, well, it's not all federal, right?
1: Well, no and yes. Um, so they have, you know, the Immigration Nationality Act passed by Congress. Those are the okay. statutes. Those are the things that qualify people for certain types of, you know, visas and things like that. The other half of it is whoever is the president at the time, whatever administration, whatever executive actions they want to take, you know, for example, um, can create these new things.
0: But like immigrate, like kind of state, like a state, Arizona couldn't say, oh, I want to open the border. They couldn't do that. That's a federal thing to to be really broad. So kind of what you're saying is like, Law- the lawyers have to go based on largely federal policy or whatever the policy mm-hmm. is right now. And obviously that's become much more strict with the president, right? right? Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. So you're starting to see a lot more of that in, in the courtroom, yes. it sounds like.
1: A lot more hurdles to jump over. Gotcha.
0: Okay. All right. Hmm. Do you see kind of any any change at all as far as immigration policy or even DACA? Could we see like families being separated in the, in the coming, you know, like that sort of thing? Oh,
1: absolutely. Unfortunately. I mean, we see it now. I see it now, anyways, in courts in terms of when somebody's denied a bond and they don't get to go home to their families, when they apply for everything that they can and it gets denied for, you know, whatever reason and the judge is like, "Mm, sorry, you just didn't meet it. And it's like, okay, now you're ordered removed to your home country. I think that's happening a lot more and it's getting a lot more narrower and they're really looking into, okay... I guess who are the people that we want to grant these to? Which right. is kind of sad,
0: right? So we could see more deportations.
1: Yes. Yeah. Is there
0: anything that you that that like you would like to say uh, about any about about DACA, about immigration uh, mm-hmm. policy, or anything like that that might be good to get on the record or share with people or anything like that?
1: I think the main thing during this time is to be prepared. You know, it's always that that one saying that's prepare for the worst and hope for the best, right? You got. You have to. At this day and age, we don't know what ICE is going to do. We don't know if ICE is going to raid, you know, businesses here in Phoenix. It's been happening in California. It's been happening around the country. And they
0: added more uh, personnel and stuff like that, or that yes. it's, it's in the budget or something like that. I believe.
1: Right. You. You just have to be ready for it. These. These DACA recipients willingly gave their information to the federal government.
0: Mm. Um,
1: they have that information. Right. So it's a matter of taking a step back f- for thirty seconds getting your plan together as to if the worst is going to happen and, you know, I'm going to get picked up by ice or something happens. You know, what's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my car? um, You know, who's going to have access to my bank accounts to be able to get all of that together just in case.
0: Not to be a downer, but it's it kind of sounds it's like making your will kind of.
1: A little bit. And here's the thing that I've noticed when... When I've had DACA recipients come into my office, it's like, okay, I have DACA. What do I do when I expire? They usually don't qualify for anything, any other type of immigration relief, which is why they have DACA. So I'm like, okay, maybe something changed. What would be an example of immigration relief that you mentioned? For example, um, you get married to a U.S. citizen and now you can apply to become a resident. You know, barring that you don't have any criminal record. Okay, like gotcha. Um, or they were unfortunately a victim of a crime. There's a visa for that. You know, we go through all the screening questions of of what kind type of visas they might qualify for if there is one. Um, but a lot of the times they don't because they're not married. They're young. Right. Um,
0: they were taking a leap, even becoming uh, applying for a doctor right. at the and, and yeah, it's it's like. The whole the hands are tied and everything, you mm-hmm. know, like like. So then, uh, pre- as, in terms of preparing, like, uh, what what would be maybe a couple things you would tell somebody um, in preparation of the worst happening? Yeah. You
1: know? Um, it can be as simple as a power of attorney. You know, picking mm. somebody to handle your finances, to you know, sell your car if you wanted to, just things like that. Yeah. That's that that would um.
0: Make it so that, you know, at least something is taken care of once they're deported or whatever, yeah.
1: Or detained, yeah. Or
0: detained, yeah. Are you seeing anything else out there uh, related to this that's maybe a newer trend or something new uh, in terms of immigration uh, that surprised you or was unique?
1: I think what I've been seeing a lot lately is people getting pulled over and either DPS or whoever's pulling them over calling ICE. I don't know. That's necessarily new per se, but I feel like it's just been happening more frequently. Right, right. Um, so I've I've had a couple of those people come into my office, and I'm like, okay, well, how did you get into contact with ice? Like and they I just got, got pulled p- over,
0: like for speeding or whatever. Yeah,
1: speeding. Yeah, or being brown
0: um, behind the wheel. I guess right.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, they're never <laughs> yeah. going to say that. Right. But yeah, yeah. Of
0: yeah, course. Yeah. I mean, to me, like. They, they're hiring more people for ICE, so it appears like they're moving in a more, like, uh, aggressive move forward, kind of, it seems like it, you know? But you never know with Trump, because, you know, one day he's, he's uh, supportive, and then the next day he's, like, the opposite, so...
1: Yeah, no, I wake up every morning, and I'm like, okay, let me check just to make sure that there's nothing that I need to prepare for today. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah,
0: what did I miss last right. night, uh, you know? I have this, like... Yeah, I have this idea that I wake up on March 6th and, like, all over the news is families being deported or, you know, families being separated and that sort of stuff. But it might not be that way, yet, you know?
1: It might not be to us.
0: Mm, good point, yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: But, I mean, people are going to wake up March 6th and be like, I don't have deferred status anymore. When is ICE going to come to me?
0: Right. Can I go to work feeling safe, you right. know? like.
1: Can I just drive feeling safe now with everything that's happening? I mean, there was at some point, granted, I'm speculating too, but at some point it had to have been some sort of comfort, right? At least for two years.
0: Totally, yeah.
1: For two years, as long as I didn't get into trouble, I had this to rely on, and now I don't.
0: Yeah, because it's like a really roller coaster ride. Uh, we were talking to Karina Ruiz and she was talking about how uh, I think it was Prop 301 mm-hmm. where um, she was going to school. She was almost graduate about it. She had like a year left and then boom, that happened. Right. And like she couldn't pay for right. for school. And then DACA came out and was like, yay, yay, yay. And then and now it's mm-hmm. going to expire. And then like it's just like a up and down like mm-hmm. that would be crazy to have to go through.
1: It's an emotional so, roller coaster.
0: Yeah. So I mean, yeah, like, so I don't know, like, this is one of the questions, I, 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 one of my last questions. Um, that uh, I'm saving it for last because it's one of those things that's like really open-ended, and it's you, be creative as you want. But like, like in, in your perfect world, uh, what is the perfect immigration policy?
1: The perfect immigration policy.
0: I mean, one. you can't have. I mean, like open borders i mean like it could be open borders you know i mean why couldn't it be i guess right europe's done it right you know
1: right i i don't know and i and i struggle with this every day
0: yeah
1: of what is it i think for sure there definitely needs to be something to clear up these backlogs because i do come i do have people come in that it's like well my brother put in papers 20 years ago i'm like you still got like four years um, yeah, talk about a little
0: bit about that briefly, about how backlogged it is, because this yeah. has been going on for a long time, too.
1: Yeah, so if you, um, you know, put into family petition for a sibling or your parent did it for, for you as a child, depending on your country, I'm going to use Mexico because that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, depending on what category you're in right now, the lowest category, I think they're processing applications from 96, June oh of 96. Oh, my gosh.
0: 20 years ago. 20 years ago,
1: and then there's only 20,000 allotted a year, so you still got at least three or four years to wait.
0: Is that because there's just not enough manpower, or they haven't improved the systems or anything like that? They
1: haven't improved the systems. I mean, when there's so many people applying, and there's only 20,000 that are going to get approved for that year, I mean, that's a long time waiting. Do I think that cutting... You know, these preference categories of being able to submit, you know. Talk
0: about category, that's that's a level of...
1: Yeah, that's a level of priority. Priority, okay. Of priority for a family gotcha. petition. Um, So priorities go to spouses and children, and then it goes down the line to siblings. And the further you are down the line, the longer the wait right. is... Um, do I think that getting rid of those categories is going to solve anything, or what Trump calls chain migration? No, I mean that's family unification, and I think that comes just from a cultural background of this is your family, and you want to be together, and you want to be able to share these experiences and live with each other, and do all that good stuff.
0: I would think that probably it has immigration has not been a priority, so no, no funds have been put towards it. In, in terms of like, you know, the immigration. Department, the federal, the federal government's part of that. Um, um, but going back to circling back to like the policy, like, like, I mean, could we exist with open borders? I mean, not in the climate that we live in. I feel like you know,
1: right.
0: But like, what do you think about that? You know, like,
1: I think eventually we could. I think it would just have to be a matter of realizing that immigration is is. Is a bilateral issue. There, there are reasons why people come to the United States, and you have to figure why that is. You know?
0: Well, this has always been my theory on it: is uh, is that um, people are always trying to be- find a better, uh, better yeah. life for themselves. It doesn't; they're gonna, they're gonna cross the border if they're, you know, families getting shot in, in their home, at their home, in their oh, yeah. town, or whatever. They're going to find a better life and trying to survive. And the only way that to do to solve that problem is to make life better south of the border, uh-huh. you know? Like, to me, that doesn't seem like brain sur- surgery at all. I mean, like, and and the whole thing with the wall, to me, is, like, if you build a wall, they're going to climb it, no matter how tall it is, like, that sort of stuff. I hope I'm not giving away too much of, like, my ideology.
1: Right. <laughs> because I
0: want to try and say it's somewhat object- or objective here, but, like, that's kind of the way I look at it. And I don't know what we can do to spread, spread the wealth around, but a lot of it will stem from, like, you know, people leave Syria because there's a war. You exactly. know, like that's. I mean, thank God there's not a war in Mexico.
1: Right. Well,
0: the drug I think war, it would but depend
1: yeah. On who you ask. Right.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. 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 But yeah. So like, and the more tension that's built, the I mean, it creates more and more mm-hmm. problems for everybody. I feel right? like. But
1: right. I mean, and I think people forget that there's walls already and there's fences already. Yeah. I don't know what another one is gonna do
0: right yeah (laughs) cool um well thank you for being on the show
1: thank you for having me
0: I have to say, it's been an amazing experience speaking to the three guests we've had over the last few weeks. And they've been so gracious to sit down with us and share their stories. And not without risk, by the way, to Karina, Patrick, and Juliana. So I used to work the front desk at a family doctor's office. Dealing with sick people isn't exactly fun, so I have total mad respect for those who do it on a daily basis. And just trust me, I will connect this to the immigration issue. So doctors take the Hippocratic Oath and the Hippocratic Oath says you can't refuse medical service to anybody so there were on some days when I worked at the doctor's office um, we'd see more than 50 patients that was a rare day but it does had it did happen a couple times and these patients would have any range of illness or dysfunction but the basic rule was that if they made it in the door before closing time they were gonna see the doctor And sometimes we even broke that rule and saw them after closing time. And those were really, really long days being around a lot of sick people. But one of the things I learned is that it's really difficult to refuse help to someone who's standing right in front of you. Especially if that person who can cure your ills, the doctor, is just on the other side of the door. So the immigration situation in America practically mirrors that situation it's easy to sit behind a screen and judge a person you do not know and will likely never know. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this on your social media feeds before, especially when an immigration issue comes up. But if you really listen to a person's story and maybe even get a chance to meet them and talk to them personally, empathy could be just around the corner. And that has kind of been the point of this three-part series. Maybe you got to know some folks you wouldn't have gotten to know if you hadn't pressed play. Hopefully we all learned something along the way. I mean, isn't it all really about world peace? But to attain that, we all need to be a little bit more empathetic. But empathy takes effort. Thanks for listening to the final installment of our series on Exploring the DACA Issue. The next time you hear us, we will be back to our normal format. We haven't uh, confirmed a guest yet, but we are talking to a few folks, and we're excited to see what pans out. So stay tuned for more on that. You will not be disappointed. If you would like to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or email us at onthegridphx.com at gmail.com. On the Grid is produced by Chris Ayers. Intro music was performed by local band Factories. They can be reached at factoriesmusic.com. And that does it. Thanks so much for listening to our 22nd episode of On the Grid.